Trigger warning, this podcast contains discussions about suicide, which some listeners may find distressing or upsetting. So please listen with caution. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and the globe. We discuss their musical journeys, their artistry, their mental health, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. I am very privileged that my special guests for this episode have chosen Vent and behind the mic as the first bit of media for them as they launch their new band and their debut single. So after chatting to the legend that is Pete Anderson from Beach for Tiger, I was hit up by one of the bands he produces for called Isla Rico. So I'm checking in with lead singer Cal from the band. Cal's music journey started in a band called Offshore and after some soul searching and life choices, Cal and his bandmate Jasper decided to start a new project with a new sound and energy. In this episode, we talk about Cal's music journey and the evolution from offshore to Isla Rico, the importance of perseverance, hard work, and sometimes a bit of luck in the industry, his hopes and dreams for the new band, and what he's learned about the music industry along the way. We also discuss Cal's upbringing and growing up with family members who've had mental health difficulties, as well as his own lived experience of suicidality and one occasion where he came very close to taking his own life. Demystifying the concept of mindfulness is also on the menu, as well as the importance of an individualist approach to mental health treatment. And finally, a John Cena tweet, which has stayed with Cal since he came across it, so we'll be talking a little bit about that as well. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go behind the mic with Isla Rico. Cal, welcome to Behind the Mic, mate. Thank you so much for coming on, letting me check in with you. We had such an amazing chat off air, so I've got a good feeling about this podcast, mate. How are you, bro? How are you getting on? Oh, mate, thank. first of all, thank you for having me. But yeah, I'm doing okay. It's been a very busy weekend with the... Yeah. With everything going on. But yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, mate. I'm good. For the listeners, your debut single came out this week at time of recording. So that is why you've had such a busy week. Before we kind of crack into the music journey, everything else, how was the feedback to the single, basically? To be fair, it seems to be going down well. People seem to be receiving it. And, uh, and obviously the new vibe that we put out, you know, getting a lot more various people, different age groups and different backgrounds sort of accepting it and like, yeah, this is really cool, man. So I can't really ask for much more at the minute. Just a yeah. building process from here. Amazing, man. And it's annoying that it's such a summery single and we are actually in summer. And it, I mean, I don't know where you are, but I'm in northeast London and it's absolutely pissing it down outside. So it's, yeah, it's well, not to be my fair, great timing. Yeah, I'm near Manchester. So this is like normal. It's always <laughs> raining. Well, we had floods in London the other oh, week God. so yeah we had literal floods like, i've never seen anything like it. i thought noah's art was going to take over a car <laughs> down the corner of my road so yeah it's an oh, interesting goodness. summer but to be honest i'm a little bit like i don't know i'm a sort of sort of a negative person when it comes to weather like, i only like hot weather just about 25 degrees max and then right, anything okay. after that is too hot and i want it to go yeah. back down again <laughs> i get you it's a weird one mate if it's not sunny i'm in a mood as soon as i wake up but really? equally if it is sunny I feel a pressure to do something and enjoy the weather. So it's a constant roundabout of just 
bleakness and sadness with the weather. <laughs> That's a British thing as well, because yeah. whenever we get sunny with everyone's like, quick, we've only got two weeks of this. Everyone, barbecues, it. festivals. <laughs> That's it. But we don't have any like local water sources like swimming pools or an nah. ocean, you know, so to cool down, it's, it's a bucket over the head, which isn't that enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, our, our houses aren't built for, for, <laughs> for keeping out heat. It's just insulation. No. <laughs> I'm really privileged that you decided to do this pod as part of your sort of debut single launch, mate. So without further ado, shall we just start the show? Yeah, man. Yeah, let's go. Let's start behind the mic, as we always do with every guest, Cal, and talk about your music journey. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Can you tell me about your love affair with music? How did it start? Who were some of the artists you listened to growing up? What impact did they have on your mental health? And when did you first start singing or playing instruments? Well, to be fair, my earliest memories of music, I guess, is sort of weirdly, because I'm a big Man City fan, just surrounded with Not a Oasis. glory hunter, eh? Not a glory hunter? No, no, no. A season <laughs> just had ticket. to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, I think 17 years I've had a season ticket. So we were pretty crap back then. So I'll take that one. I take that with pride. But yeah, it's synonymous with obviously the Gallagher brothers and Oasis playing. And I guess that was my first intake into music and made me fall in love with bands, I guess. But then equally, you know, I grew up with a sister and my mum who are heavily into pop bands like Take That and stuff. So you have this aura of boy bands and pop music that's going on on your left side and these cool bands on the right side. And I guess that sort of sparked an interest for me, particularly obviously in singing, but then obviously moving into a musicianship and sort of wanting to play instruments. Yeah, so I guess I started sort of, I guess what most people do, trying to do covers and sort of this new age wave of YouTube and, and things that are like, we're well, okay, let's try and dive into this. But yeah, quickly started doing gigs with like backing track and stuff and it just wasn't for me. I sort of felt a bit empty and I needed something deeper. I know that seems really like, you know, but <laughs> wanted a deeper connection. And I think that does genuinely come when you've got them live instruments on stage. So that began my hunt for a band. And yeah, I just took to the internet, found a guy known as Jasper Whitehead, who's one of my bandmates, looking for people to join. He was in Essex, I was in Manchester, but it was, look, if we want to do it, nothing's a problem. Let's just go for it. And yeah, we started a band, played around in many different genres. We've had members come and go. We got Harvey in probably four years ago and yeah us three have just built a relationship and just negated our way through picking up bits and bobs whether it's from the business side the gig side and now with this project we think we've sort of cracked the quality of music and streaming and going after a certain audience so just feels like the right time that it's all come together I guess. Before Isla Rico you're in a band called Offshore Mates I want to go back in time a little bit if we can can you yeah, just man. give the listeners a bit of context about that maybe how that band started maybe why it ended and then how it's evolved into Isla Rico sonically and how maybe you've evolved as a person along with it. Because you mentioned how, you know, you've gone from developing your streaming side, social media side and sort of yeah. the business side as well. Offshore sort of came about through that time where I met Jasper and we wanted to build on something. So I sort of just said, yo, like, I'll quit my job. I'll move down to Brighton. We'll all be really close and let's try and make a band. That was sort of it. And it was very pop orientated, but it was enjoyable. We were doing like making a band vlogs and stuff and just showing that <laughs> real, getting to know each other and stuff, which people seemed to like at the time. And yeah, I guess just as time progressed, we sort of grew a bit. We got to some levels with when Harvey came in as well, where we got to tour around Europe and we toured the UK and we did our own headline tour. And 
charted in the iTunes charts and stuff. Stuff really obviously low key, but stuff we can be proud of. But as you're growing up and getting older yourself, I guess you, your tastes mature. And that was sort of apparent for us, I think, going to the back end of 2019 to the start of 2020. We sort of felt this like want to do something different, but with not really any ideas. And it was sort of like, look, if we could just have a break. But obviously, when you're doing music, there is never a break. If you stop, you lose momentum, you can lose traction. Mm. So it was like, what are we going to do? And then almost like not an answer to a prayer because I don't wish a pandemic on the whole world or anybody. <laughs> but for us, it came at a time where it was that breather, that open space that I guess chilled us out because I've spent most of my time sat under the Tiki Bar, which obviously would later go on to inspire the whole project of Isla Rico. And just keeping in that chilled headspace, man, it sort of just developed us, matured us, and it gave us a year to find that sound that we all like and we think would work. So mm. You yeah, mentioned man. there about sort of it coming, not as a prayer, but as this weird sort of coincidence about you needing a break and then a pandemic happened. Did the fact that not a lot of people were making music almost help you because you didn't have that FOMO of, oh, we're taking a break and all these other bands are getting momentum or all these other artists are putting out loads of albums because not a lot of people were putting out albums at that time for obvious no. reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think even in life, I don't know if you'll agree, but I'm somebody that if I'm sat in bed or I feel like I'm wasting a day and I know people are up to stuff, I sort of want to be out. I'm like, oh, like I'm missing it, out. Yeah. And, and I feel this, pre- even if I'm doing something that I want to do, I feel like I'm missing out. So yeah during lockdown you know almost comparisons you make with friends around you went away because everyone was doing the exact same thing so there was just pure comfort in doing what you were doing which Mm. it was it was a really nice change and I guess a bit of a mix-up did you feel like you rediscovered your creativity or was it already there in the first place I always back myself to be a creative person because ultimately when you're being creative your brain's active and you're moving and I'm someone that hates sitting still and Mm. and sort of hates just my numbingness you know but so yeah I definitely think it sort of allowed me to explore other avenues for how to be creative and really hone my craft through things like online courses and stuff like learning business to its full potential and creating stuff digital marketing sort of all these points around bands that people don't realize is needed to go into it because they think obviously labels and managements do that, but as independent artists, you've got to cover all them bases. Cover so, everything. <laughs> yeah. So lockdown allowed me to develop that, develop songwriting, as I'm sure it did for the other boys. And yeah, it, I guess it was a blessing in disguise. Obviously, there was negatives to it, but yeah, it was cool, man. Can you tell me about the conversation with Jasper when Isla Rico was formed? Did it feel like a big life moment at the time, or did it feel like something quite casual and that you wanted to just evolve the band? Yeah, well, we were going down a route at the very start of lockdown. We were going down a path like offshore was continuing. We wanted to do something a little bit more mature, so a bit more indie sounding, but still pushing down that guitar, typical band setup route. But I'd been listening to a lot of like Rex Orange County, Easy Life, a band called Hon, which Jasper showed yeah, me. Yeah, big fan of um, Hon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, I was listening and then we just wrote like, I don't know, I'd spent ages writing songs as Jasper had for this other project. And then one day it was just a, no, I'll hold my hands up. I'm guilty of it. I just phoned him up and said, Jasp, this isn't it, but this is. And I guess there was some apprehension because we were entering a field where musicianship in terms of guitar, typical, was less in the forefront. So it was a scary process, obviously, which I appreciate. But it was almost like, well, give me some time, trust me, to sort of get this concept into your mind like it is in mine. 
and then we had them conversations and I think just over course of a few weeks we all fully understood and had a di slightly different output on what this project was which gave us that full circle so it was quite a wow okay this is so different this is quite scary because we've never entered this path but it feels right and I'm always a big believer in like even with these songs now I know everyone's going to feel confident in their tracks but I've been confident before and then I felt like okay this is the right thing for us to be doing so yeah I guess you could say it was quite life-changing you spoke there about your influences that you're listening to you know Rex Orange County Easy Life and one band that I'm a massive fan of at the moment is called Surfaces and they've just put out yes. their fifth album yeah and in America, they are massive. And you said, you know, guitar musicianship isn't at much at the forefront, but they've shown how you can influence or use influences like steel drums and sort of trap beats. And they're massive. Yeah. I know you don't want to emulate anyone, but have you seen what they're doing in their success and think maybe we can not be a UK version of it, but sort of create our own sound and have that success that maybe they were having? For sure, man. Surface is, again, a wicked band. I sort of discovered them through looking at playlists that I wanted our music to go into. And then obviously they're everywhere in them playlists because they're massive, let's be real. And yeah, and then I think a few months back, I was sort of on the vibe and they brought out a song with Elton John and it was just like, <laughs> this is wicked, <laughs> this is mint. And weirdly, Dominic Fike is another one. He brought out a song with Paul McCartney that was sort of taking these retro influences. And I'm not saying that it made me want to do that, but it made me think, okay, there is areas here to include, like you say, different really great bits of music and musicianship into these songs and then like you say it's very beat driven on the tracks but when we go live and we've got a, an acoustic kit and we're playing this it's going to feel just bigger and, and it's going to make that live show have a completely different dimension to it which I think a lot of people struggle to get so but yeah man I for sure Surface is a, a sweet band. What has starting Isla Rico done for your mental health count? Has it given you more purpose or maybe even allowed you and your bandmates to rediscover yourselves? Yeah I'd say obviously I think the other boys would probably agree, but from my own personal take, Offshore obviously was, we were running and operating at a certain level with certain objectives that ran us down and sort of caused a lot of knock-on effects. But with this, having that slow ease into it allowed me to sort of make plans because I like to do things really methodic. I like to know exactly what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I'd plan 50 years ahead if I could because <laughs> I know what I'm doing. And I like that because then when I wake up in a day, instead of entering like seven hours block you've put aside in your evening to do just band, you know what you're doing in hour one, two, three, four, five. And sometimes you get it done quicker. So for sure, it sort of gave me something to do and something again to inspire towards because not to say we'd sort of fell out of love with music, but I guess that reignited the passion for it. So yeah, I'd say it did help massively. You've taken on a lot of the admin side of the band, which is not easy at the best of times. How do you manage your mental health alongside that? And is it easier to do when you're clearly so passionate about this project? I'd say easy would be the wrong word because I know there's a lot of people <laughs> that would struggle to, I guess, get into a certain headspace. But I think once you've equipped yourself with a solid mind that you feel confident in and, and comfortable, then I think you can start to take on more pressures. And I'm somebody that isn't good with my own space. I like nothingness when I feel at peace. But if I'm in normal life, like I'm at home, I know there's stuff going on. So it's quite chaotic in my brain with like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things going on. So for me, if I keep myself busy, then I feel better because I'm like, I'm striving towards these goals. And I guess equally that way, it makes it easier that if things don't go your way, you can look back with no regrets because you know you tried. And that's a big thing for me. Like if I come out of a project, I don't feel like I've tried 
fully, then I'll always wonder, well, what if I had done this, this, this? So I just think give it 110%, do every little task. And eventually there'll come that time in life where you've got that freedom and you're at peace because you've achieved what you wanted to achieve and reap the rewards that way. I want to talk about live performance and producing now. So can you take me back to your maybe first ever live performance of either offshore, maybe even earlier, you know, where was it? How did it go? And what nerves or anxiety did you have before it? So walk me through that mental process. Well, to be honest, it was my first experience playing live was when I'd obviously I'd done gigs as a solo singer and stuff, but you know, I don't really count them. But in terms of the band, my first gig was three weeks after I'd started to learn to play the guitar. And me and Jasper always laugh about this. He said to me, like, oh, do you play the guitar? And I said, yeah. And I didn't because in my head it was like, well, I'll figure it out. And three weeks later, we played a gig and it went well. You know, it wasn't loads of people. It was in South End. So, again, different ends to me. It was so brand new, but it went well. And from there, it's like, okay, well, then if I play one show, I can play two shows and then just continually going. But I think for all of us, the live performance now in Isla Rico, as much as we're sort of still figuring out what that's fully going to be, we're so stoked because that's definitely our favourite part. And I think it's the probably the part I think we're probably best at because we're good at putting on a show. And now that we feel we're equipped with the tunes as well, yeah, I'm just excited, really. <laughs> I bet you are. I always get my artists on behind the mic to talk about one bad set or performance in their life, Cal. And most importantly, so we can normalise making mistakes for our listeners, what they learned from it. Is there one or two stories you feel comfortable sharing and what did you learn from them? Oh, for sure. Well, from a personal standpoint, we were playing a festival and on the way to the festival, my voice went like completely like I couldn't talk. I had no sound. So for the next three hours, I just put my head over. Do you know when a little hot water and yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever is it, Vic or something they put <laughs> yeah. inside and just steam out your face <laughs> for three hours. I didn't move from this bowl. You know, it was the longest sauna on my face of your life. <laughs> Went and played the show and got through 75% of it relatively okay with sort of bits when you know your voice will go, giving it to the crowd or splitting up the parts then to the other boys. Nice. But then we had to do a show again the following day. And it was a show, weirdly, my mate who had been saying, come and watch, come and watch, we love the show. He finally came to this and I had nothing. nothing. I had no voice on that day. And it was just like a comedy of errors, like... Guitars just went out of tune after like a minute of a song. Just And it was like, what's going on? Like parts of the drum kit was falling over. And it was just one of them gigs where you're like, <laughs> okay, right. It's this this, this yeah, is meant yeah. to go wrong. But let's see how we come back from that, I guess. But yeah, that was that was a funny one. Conversely then, what has been the best show you've ever done? And what did that do either for your professional self-worth or maybe your wider mental health? Oh, best show. Tough one, tough one. Three spring to mind. For me, we played a show in Warrington, which is where I'm from, which was mint. I had family and friends come, and I always remember like there was other bands on the bill. That I guess friendly competition, you know, and there was a lot of people there that seemed to be pro us at the time. And I remember during one of the songs, there's this big like platform, because it was like obviously like a bar. So I was just like, I need to get on that. I need to end up on there. And there was one of our songs where it obviously goes a bit where everyone's sort of singing the thing. So that I took that opportunity to sort of, yeah, go on there. And it was just mint because everyone was then crowding around this little table and you sort of felt it's like your big moment, if you like. But it was that was sick. And also playing Amsterdam was mint because Europeans were dead lively and 
yeah, man, it was just, it was a sweet experience, that whole yeah. thing. Talking about that platform there and that experience, what does the stage provide for you and your mental health, Cal? Is it escapism? Is it a place where you can truly be yourself or something even deeper? Yeah, I'd say fully, like, I'm a bit of a wacky dude. So when I go on stage, I feel like I can let that out without it looking weird. If I start doing weird jumps and weird screams in the middle of Asda, then I might get some funny looks. But on a stage, it's acceptable. So, yeah, it's just that escape. And and I guess not to overdo it, but it used to be a purpose. Like, it used to be, like, oh, I need to do this. And weirdly now, I feel confident that I could be more than just what music gives, which is why I think it works even better because I'm not reliant on it now. I'm doing it for enjoyment and for the buzz and obviously for other people. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a nice head cleanser a gig for sure and just as a final question before we move on to the industry which outlet out of producing songwriting singing or playing instruments has the biggest impact on your mental health would you say well to be honest i'd probably have to go with songwriting because oh sorry my french bulldog has just run in and caused (laughs) chaos we'll leave this Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm guess songwriting is probably the bit where obviously you let certain emotions out and not every song is about someone or about something that's personal but even so in them situations there's elements of that song where you you, you pull in from real life events so that's sort of therapy self-therapy you know you're putting your emotions into a song and turning that I guess negative thoughts into something positive so it's almost closure I guess to things that maybe you think you've not got that for. I want to move on to the industry now so when we spoke about what issues you wanted to discuss through a mental health lens, Cal, one thing that mm. came up was this idea of growth and being able to juggle the multiple strengths you need as a band to succeed. And we've touched on it a little bit already. So those being a strong live show, being marketable and strong listener numbers or album sales. Now, some bands are good at one or even two of those. The ones who yeah. largely are successful smash all three out of the park, whilst yeah. others can maybe master one, but maybe fall down on the other two. Can you tell me about your perspective on this and how you've tried to weave this into Ida Rico whilst evolving as a person? Well, obviously, previous band, I feel like we sort of had the live show. We had an idea for how to push social media and get ticket sales in, but we sort of always fell down with the streaming side of things. That's not saying streaming side of things in terms of, oh, we weren't getting a million streams. Understanding the quality that needed to put out and how to work playlists. And I guess understanding that when you put a song out, like now, that song doesn't need to be the song that goes, but if you can start a bass, say you even push 10,000 streams, you know, 20,000 streams, release another song and aim for 25,000 streams and by track six, seven, eight, you've pushed that, but you've not lost your live show, your social media presence. And that way for me is how you build. Cause we built a decent social media thing. You know, we had three, 400 likes on every single tweet we'd put out for a while. And it's drastically different now. But yeah, I feel people are more engaged with the music. So you can build sort of this thing, but ultimately your foundation eventually will crack because it's not strong. If you build a strong foundation, you might be building slower. It's not going to fall. And I think that's the key part. And if you do fall because it's not right, go. you can go back and fix and start again. I think that's important to always look for improvements, I guess, mm. is key. I think there's an interesting question here as well. It's something that I try and find with Vent where I sometimes think, oh, maybe I should have more followers or maybe I should do more social media work. When actually, a friend said to me this other day, it's as much about engaged followers as it is about follower numbers. So you might have 1,500 followers, but 1,200 of those might be engaged. They might be 
listening to stuff. They might be sharing your content either privately yeah. or publicly, whereas you could have 10,000 followers, but only like 900 of those are actually engaged. So have you been able to like make that distinction and, and grow that platform as you've gone along? For sure. I think it's understanding content. And I think this is where the, I guess the business side of it comes in, which is sad because you don't learn any of that in a band at school or if you do it at college or uni, you're not taught that. You have to figure it out on your own. And the people I think that take the time to figure it out are the people that start to get the ball rolling, you know? I sort of say like, you can be independent and if you're going to bring someone into the team because you feel like you need them to do everything because you don't know what to do, they'll add value. But ultimately, then you've got one person still that knows what they're doing. If you know what you're doing as a three or four piece band, then you bring someone in that knows what they're doing and you've got five people. It's obvious what's going to be quicker, more effective because you don't want someone to fix it. You want someone to believe in what you're doing. And I think they're the big bands. The bands that say, we can do this on our own, but you've got certain assets that will help us get there quicker or more effectively. They're the bands that get it. I think they're the bands that personally I'd want to invest in, the ones with mm. the vision, rather than the ones that say, oh, we've got a good song, but we need you to see where we're going with it. I'm like, well, you should see that. The other topic I wanted to discuss here was this idea of perseverance. Now, you said the people who don't give up on, more often than not, but sometimes can be an exception, the ones who make it. Now, perseverance can be very difficult to attain and have, especially when you don't get instant rewards in this industry. And now we're seeing, you know, music industry sort of jumping on viral bandwagons and stuff like that, which might create jealousy or anger amongst other artists. But how did you reach that mindset? Was it something you always had or you had to develop? I guess, yeah, for sure, I think you have to develop because I think when you first enter it, you've got this idea that you're going to do this song, maybe this EP or this album, release it here. Everyone's going to love it. It's going to go viral and you've made a career you know, unrealistic. I've seen songs that I personally think are really bad go <laughs> and songs that I think that is amazing do nothing. And again, is that down to elements of luck? Yeah, for sure. But also hard work and I guess understanding that. And yeah, I guess it's just that ideology that if you work hard and you continue at something, eventually it will pay off. And I believe that to be true. But you've also got to not just think, oh, well, I'm still doing it plodding along go 10 years half arsely doing it and think well I've done it for 10 years no go for it push every step of the way for as long as you can and if it's not right you know you might get to a point where you want something different out of life and that's fine which is then why people I guess stop but if you don't and you always want it look at the 1975 I think when we discussed 14 years with not saying it aided it but with famous parents which people would assume would go a long way but clearly it's the hard work you put in and at what time it's being received that makes that effective. So I sort of see Isla Rico, it's one year in. If it took the 1975, 14 years, then let's just keep going until it happens. You know? It takes a little less time than 14, but, you know, opt optimistically fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, be ideal. Come a bit quicker. <laughs> I want to talk about, there's a saying in the industry that every overnight success takes 10 years. I just wonder how this plays into either your perspective on it or just that mindset of, artists thinking about instant rewards rather than longevity for me the objective is always forward as always an end goal but I don't look any further than little steps in front setting mini goals and achieving them and ticking them off I think it's important but it is it's, it's a building process like you learn things like we're doing different music now than what we did in a, the previous band but we gain knowledge from the previous band that you then combine with what you learn now and you know, in another year's time, there'll be more knowledge that'll be had. And then you just fine tune this product until somebody believes in it. And somebody says, oh, what you've done is mad. Or, 
until enough people get engaged with it and you, you almost don't need anyone else. Putting the work in the studio as well, mate, and rehearsing can often be an escape or positive distraction. Oftentimes it can feel quite painful or exhausting, I imagine. What's yeah. your perspective on it? And have you ever wavered in your commitment to it? Wavered, I guess the only time was to start a lockdown, but it was a an okay time to have them. <laughs> yeah, it's a natural time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with rehearsing, yeah, it's obviously, it's tense, which is good because I see that as people are passionate. People have opinions. We're in a band where I encourage everyone to have a point of view. But equally, if I disagree with a point of view, I'll, I'll challenge it. I base my viewpoints on research. And if there's a disagreement, I want someone to tell me and talk me through their side. Because ultimately, if I'm wrong, I go, OK, fair dues. Like, yeah, you're right. That's the way to do it. Without them challenges, you're trusting yourself. And at the end of the day, I had no secret to the fact that who am I? I've not gone and proven I can make a global 100 million album sale band. I'm just doing what I think's right based off the research from the people that maybe have done that or from bands where they've done something wrong or done something right. It's like, okay, we can do that. We can do that. And everybody having them opinions and examples sort of shape your journey and shape your path. So it's definitely stressful, but I'm excited to get into rehearsals now because it's been so long, but I'm almost certain after we do five or 10 rehearsals, that 11th or sixth rehearsal would be when the intensity comes back. And it's like, right, we actually need to be really, really good. So mm. can you stop playing that wrong? Or can you do this <laughs> and then we'll get back to it? But it's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah. I want to quickly talk about discography because it's going to be a short section. So you've just released the debut single at time of recording. Just tell the listeners about it and how proud are you of the single as well? Yeah, man, it's... Um... It feels a bit like a whirlwind, to be honest, because obviously it's been so long creating the project. And this song was wrote, I think, in August, maybe earlier of 2020. And this whole thing's been like, all right, we need to build, we need to build. But yeah, so it's really exciting now that it's finally out and people are, are receiving it well. But it's also quite funny when I look back at the process for obviously how the song came about. You know, being in lockdown gave me a chance to be sort of experiment. And I, and I just remember one day being in a really groovy headspace and sort of going, all right, I'm going to go and sit outside. So I sat outside, I put my vinyl player on and it was sort of like each step I was there and I was like, mm, right, I'm not fully creative. So then I do something, do something. And in the end, I was laid down completely naked under the rain, <laughs> writing a song about laying in the summer rain based off a fake reality concept of a dream I'd had a few nights previous. And it just was a bit like weird, but... Got saying Arctic Monkeys there when he made Tranquility Hotel Casino, whatever it was called. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a really weird thing, but it was so natural. It wasn't a, a let's purposely try and do this. It was just in a moment, it was like mm. my body said, nah, mate, you, you, need to, you need to get naked and lie down. Like, <laughs> and I did it and the song came instantly and it was like, what? So don't do it for every song, but definitely mixing <laughs> stuff up and getting out of your comfort zone, I guess is ways to spark creativity but it's uh funny man that's a good lesson for every listener you know sometimes get on a hammock naked and get creative but not all the time uh, yeah just ensure maybe no one's home because you don't want to leave them imprints in certain family members heads so <laughs> fully empty house and away from the neighbor's windows and you're good i just want to reflect now on your journey cal so going along this journey of offshore and now isla rico what has it taught you about yourself do you think um, it's taught me areas of myself I can be proud of. It's taught me areas of myself where I felt I needed to improve because I guess 
how I acted and reacted to situations through things like stress caused myself harm or projected onto other people. I'm a bugger for my tone. Like when I'm talking to someone, if I'm heated, I don't realize if I'm coming across in a certain way. So sort of trying to work on that so I don't push any negative energy onto anybody else needlessly. So yeah, and it just sort of, I guess, teaches you weirdly so much about what you're capable of, which is a really nice thing because I guess with music particularly, you know, you write a song and you think it's good, but you don't know. You're not fully like, oh yeah, this is mega because the comparisons in the industry and how people get to certain points are, are so different. Like being an independent band with no massive financial backings, doing it ourselves through what we earn and stuff. The chances win that we know are against us. But then at them times, it's like, okay, well, what do the people that make it have? Well, they've got big label. Right? What does that big label do? Well, they do plans, publishing, licensing, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's learn about every single one of them write every single one of them out and do it like we'll do it on a smaller scale so the results will be smaller scale but we know we're doing it right and yet i guess it encourages me to challenge myself and push myself as far as i can go but also has made me aware of what my limits are which is handy to take into other areas of life as well yeah i just thought of a final question here actually because you talked about being an independent artist Obviously, this is a completely different genre, but someone like AJ Tracy talked a lot about being an independent artist and how mm. proud he is. And he's had loads of commercial success. He's had loads of financial success. Do you take inspiration from that in that people who are independent can reach that stage and stay independent from day dot to now? For sure, for sure. It's um, There's times where, and, and I guess it's getting more and more apparent as time goes on, like there's a lot more big independent artists that don't need to seek that help because they've, I guess, gone away and done it. So for sure, it sort of makes you confident that if you get the right thing, you can do it. But like, again, you've just got to stick with it because there's still avenues and still people where you can believe it's a great song. You can send it round to everyone and they're all gassing it up. And even industry people are like, yeah, we want this. But obviously then you go to a curator that maybe has like 20 listeners and they're like, nah, sorry, it's not right. And you're like, right, okay. I'm a bit confused because it's good for them, but not good here. And it's again, it makes you understand. It's all, it's all opinion. It's all personal. Yep. So, and some and can... talk shit. <laughs> yeah. There's 7 billion people on the planet. If 6.5 billion of them told me my song was really bad, but the 500 million said, oh yeah, I'm streaming it. Career's done, made. And I've, <laughs> you know, like, so you sort of don't get wrapped up in the negativeness, believe in yourself, but also notice when opinion can aid your thing even if it's not what you wanted to hear i feel like you've got to get good at knowing what's good info and what's a bit crap we talked all about your music journey cal let's go behind the mic and talk about your own mental health journey so i ask again all my special guests this question first talk to me about your early life in warrington childhood teenage years and Looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the cow we meet here? For the first 10 years, I guess, of my life was pretty bubble wrapped, I'd say. I was fortunate enough to be with parents who were not strict, but not letting you get away. You know, you learn your values and, and stuff, but they would treat us and, and things and we appreciated it. But I guess elements of being spoiled, but not in a bratty way, I'd like to think. But then obviously recessions come about and, and then through that, that sort of opened my eyes up to wider world problems. And it just, oh, sh like, wow, there's so much more. 
going on in people and in the world than this little bubble I've lived in as a, as a kid, which is understandable, you're a child. And yeah, and then sort of notice that there is sort of been some key mental health things within my family and certain members of my family, which have been apparent for them 10 years before I noticed it. But when I became aware to it, you start, oh, right, okay, I understand this. And then, but what is this? I don't understand. Like one day someone's coming home and, and they're fine. Another day someone's coming home after a great day and they're down and it's like, what's going on? I don't understand. So from a young age, I guess it's sort of been around. And I think in a nice way, exposed me early and gave me some things to understand it later in life, which obviously you don't realize at the time. But what that allowed me, I guess, is to, and it wasn't not that young, but going to high school was probably the earliest memory I can think of with, I guess, a mental struggle, not to the extreme, but I went to high school things changed. And that's when I understood that, okay, I don't deal well with change. Because I went and I had friends, a nice amount of friends, you know, I was doing year seven. So there's no pressures. It's it's all chill. But I felt this massive step that I'd grown up. And there was things in my head sort of telling me that my relationship with my family is going to change because I'm getting older and things and I, these pressures. And I just used to spend time at school, just sitting in the toilet, crying at lunchtime for like the first month or two of high school because I just was just sad but I didn't get it I'm 12 13 years old I'm not going mental health which I think kids today will they're now doing that yeah which is amazing I love that but back then it it wasn't that thought that crossed my mind so weirdly again good time and we'd recently we got a dog at the time when I was in year seven which I sort of naturally confided in I used to speak to the dog like a counselor every single night because it's getting out (laughs) And you just felt listened to. And, and I guess that built a relationship with me and my dog that is different. You know, mm. it was just different at the time. And I also used to sit down with my mum in an evening and she'd make me write out like a letter for what I was feeling and, and what I wanted to do to fix it. And I, over time, it just went away. But even then, I wasn't aware that it, it was any mental health, you know, even on the softer side. But it went away. It was treat. It was like, cool. And. I carried on with life for a few more years whilst other family members went through that sort of stuff. And then I guess the pressures of life post 18, I guess, hit me, I guess, through bits of financial struggle, but not mm-hmm. obviously I'm again, I'm always someone that says, oh, well, yeah, I'm struggling, but there's people struggling more. And you make these comparisons of why you should feel guilty for feeling bad about your situation. To validate and there's people worse off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And entering that headspace is dangerous because you should never, you know, I always say I could drop my phone on the floor and that can be so traumatic for me in my brain that that's like I've lost a loved one to someone else. Not saying it does to me. Like, I don't that's really like care my too iPod. much about my phone. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's understanding everyone receives different bits of bad news differently and, and take that. So people can be going through something that from the outset seems a lot less, but it's still hitting them the same. And I guess that's sort of what happened. I'd had a job, financial struggles. Obviously, there was still family that, for me, was going through mental struggles. So I didn't want to bring that in and speak to them about that because I didn't want to add fuel to the fire. Or, Mm. you know, I played it down in my head, like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be feeling this way. Like, crack on. Like, you sort of build this up in your head. And yeah, and that, that was the start of a pretty negative journey, which closed me off from a lot of people led me down a path, stresses of band and life was just getting so much and so hectic that it caused me to have a breakdown. But then when I had that breakdown, my mistake was I thought I was done. So, okay, I've let it out now, crack on. 
And that was as much as I looked into it, which in hindsight was the wrong thing to do because it just, it's not gone away. You need to continue with these treatments almost, however that is for you. But yeah, it led to a path where you're on a road. And for me, again, this is weirdly the first time I sort of saying it out loud, but it sort of led me to a point of making my mind up to not want to be around anymore. And that's tough. It's not a decision. It was lightly. It wasn't like a one day do it. It was, you know, like I said before, very methodic. So it was a long process of getting to this point. And then just a little event one night just told me, right, I've had enough. I can't be bothered. I'm not going to achieve what I want to achieve. And through me doing that, I'm just bringing people down. I'm putting negativity onto everyone. I'm making other people's mental struggles worse. And it'd just be easier to to not be here anymore. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like that was the mindset I'd got in. And mm. I took myself away. I sort of, it seems sort of, I can laugh at it now in a nice way because I, I, I built myself back. But I'd written a letter. I'd said goodbye. I'd said my peace to people. And I'd gone off into the woods, just me and a rope. And I was at peace in a way. But then I got up there and... I was like, right, okay, let's do this. And for no reason, my phone buzzed. And I don't know what possessed me to check it because in that headspace, there was nothing left unsaid, but something made me check my phone. And I checked it and it was my bandmate Harvey had messaged me who'd been struggling himself with some mental stuff. So we'd somewhat tried to build each other back. And he just texted me saying, Hey man, do you want to call tomorrow? And that was it. And I was just like, it took me back in a, for no reason. Just like, why? He wants to talk tomorrow. Like, so then I started looking at it from, well, does he need me? You know, and that's when I always say I couldn't do it for myself. But in that moment, the part of me that does wants to do stuff for others kicked in because I was aware of his struggles. And that, literally a step away all went away because I thought well I can get till tomorrow and help him and then it got to tomorrow and we had a chat and it was oh can you talk to me again tomorrow and then he was talking to me and at that point I started to build up very small foundations of mental strength again which again my thing was that for the next like six months I lived life like I shouldn't have it it's borrowed time like in my head so I just started to live with no pressure and that allowed me to build myself up. You know, I, I tried counseling and stuff, which I, I encourage for people because it, it can work. Wasn't my avenue. It wasn't my avenue because I'd sort of felt like I'd been speaking to like Harvey. I'd been speaking to him about certain stuff, maybe not fully, but I was still feeling that. So I then lost myself in work and in sort of things like meditation. And, and that's sort of how I built myself back which again, unfortunate because not everybody receives that text in their moments, you know, mm. and then we know the tales that we hear afterwards. So by no means, and I never like to discuss it because I don't like crying wolf. I don't like people going, oh, that, you know, but I guess part of me realizes, well, some people might think that, but some people might hear it and think that's an interesting perspective. Maybe I'll try and implement that to help myself get better, which would be nice, which is a big part why we went around school tours and did like a, a mental health talk to all the kids and there was a lot of times where kids would laugh but then by the end of the session 
we'd get through to them and we'd understand. And it was almost like, well, we don't care how you, you might perceive us to be whatever you want, but as long as we help you. And we had people come up to us and say that they were going through it and they'd thought about suicide and 13 year old kids coming up and saying, you've helped me today. And that's the biggest, most positive feeling I've ever felt. And, and again, in my head, we wouldn't have got to do that had it not been for not rebuilding and having that there. So I'm thankful every day for that. Would you say that as well as Harvey, your own compassion saved your own life? Um, I guess in some instances, but again, for me to enter that mindset, I needed somebody that was a good enough person to reach out, you know? And that's where I always try to say, check in with your friends and, it could be a Thursday evening and you spoke on the Wednesday and you're just about to go to bed. But honestly, and, and proofs here, the power of a text can be more than you ever realise. So for sure, for sure, I'd say compassion. But again, where did my compassion come from? I guess the values and how I was raised, you know, and the people I've lived my life with offer compassion and offer an insight that. So it's hard to say, really. I, I won't. I don't want to give myself credit, but sometimes <laughs> it's good too. So I think there's a many people I guess I could thank for that you've spoken about that moment with Harvey since but what would you say to him now if he was listening and I'm sure he is listening he is actually listening he's just he's just rocked up well to be fair I've said it all to him but he knows like I just say thank you to him because it did a lot and, and in return I hope through being able to I guess keep me sticking around I like to think I, I aided him in, in, in his journey because I think that's what bandmates it's more like brothers you know it, it's, it's a cliche but it's true you see yourselves at your lowest and you see yourselves at your highest is when you're together but yeah he knows he's had a big part to play in his own journey as well like he's built himself back and I'm proud of him for that as well so mm. I think that's our mindset together is we're proud of each other for, for where we, we come from where we, where we bring ourselves from there's a few things that come up when I talk to guests about suicide and I've experienced myself going through suicide attempts and one of them is that, especially from my perspective, that I probably didn't want to die, but I just couldn't live anymore. The pain was so big for me that I just couldn't bear living anymore. I needed to escape myself rather than maybe escape the world. Is that something that you share or, or find any commonalities with? Yeah, I think the biggest illusion is suicide being a conscious decision to die, like you say, but it isn't. I think it's, you know, you don't think you're dead. You're not thinking about what's next you're just thinking I don't want this an example if you're in a burning house you're not thinking oh should I grab this t-shirt for tomorrow you just want to leave the situation and that's the exact same thing you're not thinking about the fact it could get better or the fact that there's nothing else you just want that particular situation in that moment to just go away a bit like when you're drunk you lay in bed and you want to go to sleep so you don't feel sick anymore <laughs> You know, you're not think <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's it seems sort of them comparisons seem a bit like you're underplaying it, but I think relatable to understand that it's not a decision for the outcome; it's the decision to prevent what's happening, and that's always worth keeping in mind. Like I've watched shows of like there was a guy that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, and he was fortunate enough to survive, broke his legs but survived, and he said, "As soon as you leave the side, you want to live." And he said, I bet everybody that's ever jumped felt that way because your body tells you when you know it's going to die. All them endorphins in your brain, the positivity 
is a reaction because your body doesn't want to die. You know, it's like if someone punches you in the chest, it hurts because your body's saying, "Roll, your organs are there, man. Like, chill out. It's the same thing. So things like that, I guess, are like sad, but comforting. And well, no one wants to die. But I think that really highlights the fact that you're not thinking about death. You know, what did you learn about yourself from that moment? And what is your mindset and outlook on life now? Do you feel like you've changed or are a different person to who you were before you almost took your own life? Yeah, I'd say for sure, I I think I'm a different person. I'd like to think I've kept some of the positive aspects if there was. But my outlook on life now, I try, I used to be a mad, like road rage central, walking around life quite angrily. And now I still have a temper, but I'm calm. I, I try and resolve situations in a nice way. And I try and live life with a positive attitude. So I guess... What it has done is, I guess, I make, make me aware to little things in other people. I like to think now I'm a much better reader of, like, a person's character and mm. noticing when maybe they're down just through little tiny things. Mm. So, so it's made you more emotionally intelligent, maybe? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a really nice way to put it. But, yeah, I think it's just give me a... And I guess giving me an outlook on the world of, yes, it's sad, but, again, think about it, how... In the grand scheme of the world and the universe and life, what impact is that? You can give anything a big impact, but ultimately, we said with the phone before, say you drop the phone and it cracks, you can make that a big deal. Or you can say, right, I can go and get a new screen. I've not got money for it this month. Right, okay. And you can solve it. You can solve that puzzle. And it's then it's not as big a thing, you know? You don't get sucked in by this negativity, which is the hardest thing to do, but for me, it's made that a lot easier for me. So I'm thankful mm. for that. Let's talk about life beyond the suicide attempt or the almost suicide attempt, I'd say, the near miss. Who's the cow we meet here and what have you done on a practical level to maintain that focus or, or new outlook? I guess things like meditation really help me escape my mind. I'm someone that likes to think it's so chaotic because when I've got 50 things going on, I can't just go one thing. I'm planning out all 50 and I'm planning them 50 things for stage two, three, four, five. It's chaotic, but things like that allow me to channel just one one objective and then move on to the next one and, and sort of create a bit more tranquility in my mind. That Yeah, just, just makes everything easier. And I guess now through getting to points where a big thing for me was failure was something that I feared. So to combat that, I make sure I'm fully equipped. I'll plan everything. I'll plan a plan. I'll do a call to arrange when we're planning the plan to the plan. Like I, I'll go as in depth as I need to, to ensure that even if this now fails, I've done everything I can. And as long as I tick that box, hopefully it works. Like that's my primary objective. But if it doesn't, I've ticked the box. You know, I've accepted the terms and conditions and I'm at peace with it. No regrets. Yeah. No regrets. I'm a massive advocate of an individualist approach when it comes to our mental health care, especially for men. And I think sometimes, you know, men can get told just to go to therapy or just to do this as sort of a blanket, one size fits all approach. What is your perspective on this when it comes to men's mental health, I guess? Well, obviously, it's something that I guess is a subject for I, I see obviously men around me in my life that I can see now when they're going through something, but to them, they might acknowledge it in their brain as, oh, I'm just a bit, bit of a shit day or a bit of a down day. Whereas I sort of look at it and think, is there something more? If there's not, that's fine. But I try and get them to acknowledge it and, and it's okay. Like 
these terminologies, anxiety, depression, you know, they're almost really scary words for men because we're conditioned to be strong and the mindset of men, you know, that's just what the world is oozing and it's ever changing and for a really good thing. But, you know, and, and I look at situations of like a big thing online is when people say, oh, look at that toxic masculinity which again i'm not it's a fan overused of it. a bit too much it is overused i'm not a fan of it when it's conducted in response to tear someone else down i'm like yeah mate you don't need to do that but also before you call that guy all the names under the sun and say oh you're compensating for something think well yeah what if he is but what if what he's compensating for is something deep and sad and the only reason he's projecting them feelings because he doesn't have any other way or idea to how to deal with it or he's not self-aware or, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I always try and give everybody like some benefit of the doubt and try and enter any other mindset. Like no matter how dark, I'll try and understand the perspective. I'm not saying I agree with it. You know, there is right and there is wrong. But if I can understand it, then I feel like I can understand that person and maybe you can offer a solution. If you don't understand it, then you can do nothing, you know. Mm. So if you don't take the time to understand how can they themselves ever fix it, my you know? favorite quote of yours when we spoke off air, Cal, was this. You said, if you're having a bad day and you can't find it in you to smile for yourself, smile for other people. Now, before anyone gets on to us, this doesn't mean telling girls to smile in the club, for God's sake. But tell me how this line shapes your life and your mental health. Well, in that moment, that was everything. That ideology was it all. And I think as a species, we all find it much easier to do things for other people than ourselves sometimes if in your head if it's oh let's nip to the shop oh, i really want a can of coke it's like oh i can't be bothered but if someone comes in and goes do you mind running to the shop for me to get this i don't know about you but i feel like oh, okay it, it's less of a chore i don't know why but in their moments i guess we're all capable of, of finding it in us and finding that good in us to do stuff for the people we care about and I say just act upon that like when you can just I try and live just every day even in that way like what could I do now I've got to do this for me but is there anything I can do to help someone else if everyone thought that way then people would do a lot more good for you you'd be doing a lot more good for them and it'd just be quite a nice harmony in, in, in living I guess but yeah no it, it's a massive massive way I try and live my life anyway before we reflect on your journey I've got one final question on this because when we spoke off air there was one philosophical tweet from a certain former WWE wrestler, John Cena. I have to say John his name in that, in, that, in that word. But he wrote a tweet that really spoke to you. Why was that? That's a good question, to be honest. I'm going to pull the tweet up again now because I want to get it right on the money. Don't want to misquote the man himself, yeah. Yeah, because, and I know he tweets a lot of that stuff, but he, <laughs> yeah, he said, yeah, yeah, he does. He said, uh, most problems have more than one path to a solution. Have empathy and respect for others if they choose a different path from yours. And I think that's massive because how many times do we speak to friends when they're telling us about a breakup or an argument at work? And we're like, do you know what you should have done? Do you know what you should have done? When all they want is you to listen. If they ask for an opinion, yeah, give it, man. Like, of course, like we all have different viewpoints, which is amazing. But again, you can deliver that in a certain way where you, they don't feel like, oh, I feel negative because I didn't react this way. Because you can really project your opinions onto people without realizing so there's always two ways to get somewhere you know i like to think even on a sat nav there's a quickest route but there might be a nicer scenic route that someone wants to take for a reason that's to them personal to them so 
it's the same thing in life. There might be a reason they've taken that path that you don't have. Given what you've been through, Cal, on this journey, what has it taught you about yourself? And if you could go back and talk to that maybe 11-year-old Cal who was struggling to adapt to secondary school or maybe even the Cal who was close to taking his own life, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? Well, first and foremost, I'm quite proud of being able to rebuild myself up mentally. But there's also some thanks in that because I feel quite lucky and honoured to be one of the people that got the chance to do that. If I went back to my, my younger self, I guess I'd probably give a bit of a taste what the world's giving to young people now and make people aware of mental health from that point and encouraging it, people to talk about it. And I guess going back to my other self, I guess in that I'd just say, you've got it, man. Like you've got it within yourself. Don't be alone. Confide in other people. Allow them to build you up as much as you want to build yourself back up. And yeah, just breathe, I guess. Just breathe. Chill out. And I know that seems really basic, but in moments of hecticness, there's a reason that we get a bit panty. It's because we forget the most simple thing in life that we do every day without realizing. We forget to breathe. And sometimes a simple breath can do wonders, man. So it's not the most, you know, like medical terms or anything. But again, that comes down to how each treatment and each thing is so subjective that you've got to find the one that works right for you or help someone find that path. Our final topic of conversation, Cal, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. It is a general natter and a bit of a chat about our mental health. So firstly... How would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? Really, really great. Is there bad days? For sure. You have days where you wake up again, no explanation, you feel down. And, and I think that's something that really highlights that this issue doesn't go away. I don't feel like you can fully just develop it, but you learn to cope and you learn to sort of acknowledge positive things. So right now, negativity that creeps in, if it does, I deal with it so different, like it doesn't impact me nearly as much. And I find the fire in me to want to resolve it as opposed to absorb that. I find myself, if there's a lot of negative energy in a situation, I'll either try and talk to them people and see what's going on. But if I can't escape that, then I try and remove myself from that situation because I don't want to absorb that. I want to stay as positive vibes as I can, which is why I guess this band's around because this is all about positivity and positive vibes. So, yeah. Mm. If you felt comfortable saying... What mental health issues or conditions, if any, do you live with and how do they affect you in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I'd say, you know, I never like sort of acknowledging because, again, other people go through this stuff. But I'm going to, I guess, sort of suffered through bits of depression, which nowadays I think is very small when it creeps in. And, and it's manageable in my head now. And I guess bits of anxiety that can creep in in your head that, I guess, again, it's just fighting it like, you might be it in your appearance or or what you're doing. You feel through the art of social media, you get negative comments and it's about knowing not to absorb them and stuff, but it does creep in. And in them times it creeps in. Now it's almost like I've got a checklist of coping mechanisms to tick off and eventually I end up back in a good headspace. I guess they still are apparent and maybe won't ever go away, but I'm confident enough to challenge them now. What age do you think you were when you became self-aware of your mental health and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health? I guess, weirdly, I guess full acknowledgement of it was after I got better, if I'm being honest, because 
had I understood it, I think I'd have acted very different. But mm. I didn't understand it. And every time I tried to, I just said, I told myself I was silly. You know, you've got other members of your family going through this stuff. Like, stop seeing attention. Stop this, stop that. They're the thoughts that creep in, even though you've not spoken about it. But you <laughs> tell yourself you've done it anyway. So I guess afterwards, which sucks in a way, because <laughs> if them realisations come a bit quicker, maybe you can do something about it. What things do you find in life that trigger your mental health, mate? So this could be things people might say to you. It could be a sound. It could be a social environment. Or have you not figured all of them out yet? My biggest passions, music for sure that ignites you know there's a lot of negative toxic people there's a lot of experiences we've had with negative people and failure again creeps in but it's one of them financials comparisons mm -hmm. with other people's lives is a major one weather conditions like you can anything can trigger a certain chain of events in your brain so i guess they're the core things but equally you can wake up one day and just be down and no explanation so who's to say it's the mystery of, of mental disease, I guess, of if we could pinpoint it, maybe we'd have ways of managing it and not having these such sinister outcomes <laughs> for a lot of people. But Indeed. sadly, we don't. So we just got to do what we can. Can you tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health? So who was it with? What did you say? And Ooh. what impact did it have? And how did you feel afterwards? Did it feel like a big moment or a big burden or weight had been lifted? Or did it feel like something quite small and insignificant and normalised? In all honesty, I don't remember who, but obviously I know I, I spoke with Harvey probably the most out of anybody. It was comforting, especially when, you know, we acknowledged that he was going through stuff as well. It was comforting to sort of not feel alone. But yeah, I, I don't know. I've always been someone that somewhat scared to put my feelings out there because sometimes they're not received in a way that you know, you feel like, oh, I've put myself really out there with these emotions and they've almost felt like maybe they've been played down or people sort of like acknowledge it in the moment and then you get to like a next day or summer and people are just not taking it seriously. And I think that can have a really negative effect, which is why I think people struggle to open up. But again, I just feel confident that I, I'm fortunate enough to be a strong enough person to have rebuilt without yeah. that sort of stuff, I guess. What tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health, Cal, or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked? Maybe which ones that haven't? I know eating bath salt seems to be one thing that's worked for you, but I would not recommend that for the listeners as a universal method. No, no not, not eating them. Oh, what was it then? What was it? Just having a bath with them. I a... thought you said you ate them. I was like, what? Okay, well, if it Jeez. works for you, then it works for you. But I don't know about poison yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, also, I'll leave this in. That was a good cock up from me. <laughs> yeah, no, munch on a bar of soap as well. I've heard it's yeah. Just, no, no. yeah, but honestly, like things like bath salts, like I feel relaxed. Taking myself out to different locations like the Lake District or somewhere mm. really open spaces. Meditation is a massive one. And yeah, I guess just doing little bits and bobs to keep yourself as positive as you can. And that's all you can do. What's the best book you've read for your mental health or mental health Bible, I would say, and call them? Oh, to be honest, I read a book on... I think I want to say it sort of it comes from Judaism, but it was it was about a book about Kabbalah, which is some practices. I don't get me wrong. I don't follow it religiously. It's something I was interested by, but it did offer some quite interesting perspectives. Obviously, the art of like manifestation, there's people believe you manifest something, it'll happen. And, and I agree with that, but not for a reason that if you just think it will happen, but through when you put something out there, you're striving towards that goal. And through striving towards that goal, 
things happen in the right direction for you. You know, I believe in that and how you act. One of the examples in the book was you say you're in the car and it was really relatable for me as someone had bad road rage. And they said, say someone does something wrong, cuts in front of you and you have to slam on. It's not saying don't beep your horn to make them aware you're there because that's why your horn's there. But after that, if you're beeping, you're swearing, you're continuing, you're giving yourself negative thoughts, but then you're putting that out onto that person. And then that person puts them out onto someone else. And eventually there's a chain of events that can come back to you and you get negativity in return. So it was just an interesting thing of, okay, well, again, living that way. If I don't react, they have a better day. And if they have a better day, I'm confident I'll have a better day because I know they are. So again, comes back to that doing it for you, which weirdly seems to sum everything up. I like that point, mate. I talk about two ideas on this podcast at the end of this topic, mate. Toxic masculinity and positive masculinity. Now, my personal belief is that toxic masculinity does exist, but it's maybe overused in certain circles. And I believe that it normally starts in school. And if you can nip it in the bud, then then you can basically have a load of healthy adult men in later life. I also talk about positive masculinity because hopefully in a few more years, and maybe I'm naive or optimistic about this, toxic masculinity will be in a very small minority and masculinity will just be positive masculinity, if that makes sense. Can you talk about your perspectives on both these ideas and how would you define them? Yeah, there's no doubt there is definitely, there is a lot of toxic masculinity within certain areas. Again, and I don't agree with the necessity to that, but we spoke about earlier about maybe reasons behind it. But equally, like I'm someone like I acknowledge in certain times, I'm quite a uh, effeminate guy. But then there is other moments where, yeah, like I feel like a man, you know, and that's not wrong. That's like to celebrate it like I'd celebrate anyone. We have both energies. We have masculine energy and feminine energy, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, in my head, the perfect world is a guy that's wants is very effeminate and wants to embrace more of them sort of tones and sides to his personality. I'd clap my hands. But equally, if some guy is a man and he loves living you know then if you're a nice person yeah 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 yeah. if you're a nice person you're a nice person and that's it for me weirdly in today's day and age i don't need to know your sexuality your gender your race or anything because it does not matter to me if you want to talk about it i want to celebrate it i want Mm. to celebrate diversity and celebrate gender non-conformity and stuff like that just like without having to put a label on it yeah 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 but it's like that for me i'd love the situation because only because i've seen this if you get in a taxi and somebody says, oh, to the taxi driver, where are you from? I don't need to know that information. I need to know, how's your day been? It makes no difference to how I receive you as a person, as long as you're a good one. That's it for me. So I guess my take on it is just so like, I want to celebrate it when it's done right. And I want to argue it when it's done wrong. And then when it comes to qualities, so I talk a lot about with guests, how some people would define positive masculinity as self-awareness or self-confidence or being non-judgmental towards others what would you define it as or what qualities do you think a man should have to exude to be positively masculine or do you think there is no Um, qualities and we should all just get rid of everything like that (laughs) well to be fair i don't think there's qualities in what makes positive masculinity i think it just makes a good person and you're just more of a masculine man like Mm. there's feminine style men there's masculine men and vice versa with other genders it's just it's just part of life like everyone's a bit different like my brother climbs mountains. He's quite a masculine dude, but he's a lovely guy. I don't want to tear him down because he's not a bit feminine, but equally he doesn't want to tear me down because in certain situations I am more feminine. We just celebrate the uniqueness of each person. And, and not try and change me. them. Yeah. 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 Just equal. <laughs> equal, exactly. right and wrong. 
I like that. And there's no right or wrong answer to those questions either. I always enjoy people's different perspectives on it. Yeah. I've got one final question on it, Cal. And this is another broad one. So what more do you think we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life, feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if they want to do it? I'd love within like workspaces, you know, certain... I guess, classes and things that like, like fitness centers and stuff, sort of offering free mental health classes, you know, encouraging people to talk in things like mainstream sports, you know, that are heavily maybe male populated, like with Black Lives Matter, when it was it within the football, like it really did bring the issue as much as people said, what's it doing? People were talking about it, issues were being faced and acknowledged. And there's no gesture there that offended anybody for me. So similarly, let's try and push the mental health side of stuff into, you know, male sports and, and schools and subjects and encourage it a lot more, but equally in things that are strictly not masculine and things that are maybe stereotypically female. Let's make young girls aware of, of this because again, as much as guys can be raised to be like men, 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 we don't deal with our problems. If girls are also raised with the mindset of men, men, men don't deal with their problems, then they won't be as sympathetic or understanding nope. to why, you know? So it goes for everyone. So I'd just like to see more. Look, I've seen it. The COVID pandemic came about and we made a lot of noise and rightfully so. And we got a lot of people to look at it and take that seriously. Let's just channel a bit of that energy into mental health for men and also for the wider population as well. Cal from Isla Rico, thank you so much for coming on my Behind the Mic series. Thank you for having me, mate. It's been, it's been cracking that. I really appreciate it. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Cal from Isla Rico for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the mic with him. Isla Rico's debut single, Laying in the Summer Rain, will play us out and I'll put all of the band's streaming and social media links in the show notes. I will sign us off by saying, as always, thank you to everyone and all the vendors who tuned in. If you've liked what you've heard, give it a share on social media. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your work colleagues about it. Tell everyone you know about the podcast and vent and spread the word. If you want to support us further, please consider writing us a review and five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and that will help us out with that glorious algorithm. If you want to support us even further, you can support our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember guys, it's always okay to vent. I've never seen this side of town Maybe I should slow down Every now and then Every now and then The West Coast dreams are all we've got She's not hearing, it's not making any sense So she called me up again And she said, let's get high together Do whatever, numb the pain We won't live forever, let's pretend we're Laying in the summer rain